Big shout out to DigitalOcean and Sentry.io for sponsoring this week's episode. DigitalOcean is just the simplest cloud platform for powering applications, and it easily scales with your business. There's a powerful administration dashboard to manage all your servers, storage, networking resources, and everything works together as an all-in-one solution to help you save time and money scaling your applications. DigitalOcean services have predictable, affordable pricing, so you don't have to muck around with complicated pricing structures that lead to nasty surprises on your monthly invoice. You'll always know exactly what your business will pay for industry-leading price performance services on their many data centers all around the globe. DigitalOcean droplets, which are like a VPS, they're quick to provision, and you'll have virtual machine running in just seconds. And of course, they'll scale to applications of any size. You can provision one tiny droplet or hundreds of big ones. They also offer managed database hosting and Spaces, which is an S3-compatible object storage with competitive pricing. So if you're thinking about trying them out, we're here to help. You can get started today with a free credit at do.co slash does not. They'll have a real VPS running in just a few seconds. Again, that's do.co slash does not for a free credit towards a flexible and scaling hosting solution for your next application. Well, Sean, welcome back. I hope you had a nice vacation. We had a good time without you on the show. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Vacation. Rockwell, welcome back. Hope you had a nice vacation. Oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> was that a leading question you're asking me? Was <laughs> that something like, you know, some people try to like, they want you to acknowledge something so they talk about it? Like that, like the scene from The Office, Michael Scott yeah. calls up uh, um, Carol or whatever, not Carol. Anyway, she's like, just called to wish you a happy birthday <laughs> on his birthday. Right. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like it when people do that. I've worked with a couple of people that were like that. They would they would try to, to control you via suggestion and it drove me mad. Like the like the passive aggressive uh feature request. That uh, kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I bet, yeah. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm gonna get upset. <laughs> Sorry, it's too early. We'll get uh, you we'll get you worked up later. Get me worked up. Um how yeah, how was your vacation? You know, we had this plan in our head going into it that it's just my wife, Jess, and I. We uh, went down to Florida for the typical, you know, Disney vacation. We're like, oh, it's just the two of us. We're good at traveling. We'll just take our time and relax and it'll be easy. And then we proceeded to do all of the things. <laughs> but that's, that's cool, though. No, it was good. It was friggin' hot. But we... Uh, we went through two bottles of sunscreen, <laughs> mm. and uh, no, we just had a we just had a great time. We just did the the typical thing and saw all the sights and ate all the food and and uh, it was our five year anniversary, which is insane. So awesome. that was uh, that was nice and uh, yeah, we just we just had a good time and it was you know I I listened to last week's episode and I will say I did not think about work once the whole time <laughs> and Jess even good. turned off. Uh, email notifications on her phone which really? was yeah it was just it was uh the way it should be honestly so yeah it was fine and yeah and somehow her her uh co-worker survived without her <laughs> too somehow by she, by some miracle you she, know she maintains that she set them up for success so that uh you know when she came back everything was still good that's that's great. I think did I mention on the last episode that I was avoiding messaging messaging you period so that way you wouldn't even think about 
yeah uh anything that's that's good though i'm glad that you had a reset a little bit it's good to be busy not with like not work things i suppose oh yeah definitely definitely it's uh it was a good time and let me tell you like the the i mean last time i went down there was uh 2008 i guess and uh basically now the everything has an app, right? Like the whole theme mm-hmm. park, all of Disney has this Disney experience app and it's it's incredible like how it just changes how you structure everything. You do all your, book all your, you know, food reservations through there. It shows the wait times for every ride. It shows you bus arrival times so you know how to get places. It shows you where all the restrooms mm-hmm. are. It's just like, it's so well done and uh, that was really actually refreshing to see like awesome first party, you know, uh, mobile device experience that like really enhanced navigation. I thought it was, I thought it was just really, really incredible. It wasn't some like crappy, you know, app that was just thrown together. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm, I'm glad that you're able to enjoy, uh, have some joy outside of work and, uh, got to, you know, just got to be away for, for, for something, you know, I think that's important. I, I should probably do something like that similar. Yeah. I mean, it's, when was the last time you went on a like had a vacation of any sort? Um, Jamie's graduation. <laughs> well, I guess I had to work. I worked partly through that though. I had I had I think like five days off during that. But. Yeah, but that's like you're seeing people, you're seeing family, you're doing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a like I went to train and got a black eye and <laughs> all that stuff happened too. Yeah, it's been I don't know. It's been a while. We're wanting to we're wanting to plan something for when when she's done with the bar. And that's like the main priority right now is getting her past the bar. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's been, it's been a while. I don't know. We're, we're in an interesting position. I think I'm trying to set myself up for design collective where I'm able to do that. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough to feel like you can take time off. Uh, if you're the only tech, like, you know, like preaching in the choir, right. Being the only tech person and stuff. Um, but I, I, I struggle with that sometimes like being able to completely unplug because in the back of my mind, like, what if there is a, some weird hiccup with our server and then I have to fix it, you know? No one else can do that. So, yeah, I guess that leads me into some, like, part of the topics that I had for today, uh, things that I've been dealing with directly. And I think I can't... It's funny, I don't remember exactly what I talked about last week. I think I talked a little bit about um, trying to, like, build a team and, and stuff like that and... And we've been talking about this off and on. I think two episodes ago, we talked a lot about trying to make a decision because we're kind of both in a similar position, like, you know, trying to figure out, do we hire a full-time person? Do we do we hire contractors? You know, do we put together a team of contractors? What does that even look like? Um, and so, yeah, I basically, I've had some progress on that front. And, you know, I talked to a bunch of people and I have two people right now that were, that, that I'm moving forward with and hopefully expanding that later. But... Um, today actually, uh, was the first time that besides someone besides Paul or I have cloned the design collective code down and got it running locally. Uh, so that feels good, I guess. Well, what's your, what's your process been like up to this point since we, since we last talked? Like, what have you, what have you been up to with that? So we're just talking with people, you know, there's, like I said, there's a few more, there's a couple more people I want to get involved. It's just a matter of budget and time and having enough projects scoped out for them. So uh, there, 
so I've been asking for advice, right? So, um, a new friend of the show, uh, Noah and a new friend of the show by extension of Noah, uh, Rylan, I was just asking both of them cause they have companies that are farther along than design collective. And, and, and I was like, okay, so how have you had success in the past with contractors? And they both kind of said, uh, aim for autonomy. So, if they're not if they're not actually part of the core team, even though they're contractors, they said that they can actually slow down the process in a pretty big way. Um, and Ryland actually used an interesting analogy. Um, he said, since they're not part of the core team, every change in their world has to come bundled with a lot of context, and so it almost makes it like the payload is too heavy to send over the wire, in a sense, right? And I've been thinking about that a lot and trying to balance, like, okay, I want to build build a team where where that's you know like the people that are with me or contracting feel like they're actually part of the team and don't feel like they're outsiders in a sense right um and so i guess the process looks like you know talking to those people and kind of getting getting them to sign off and be like yeah i'm interested you know i'm ready to start working you know working out budget stuff with my boss being like okay how many hours can we budget so basically what I'm ha- what's happening there is uh both of these people just have like hourly caps and so um, person A works 10 hours a week and person B can work up to 20 hours a week if they want, for example. And if they, so basically like if they, I don't want, I wasn't mandating to them that they have to work 20 hours. I said, you can work up to 20 hours. If you're busy one week, doesn't matter. You can work less. It's okay. You know? And so after clearing those budgets from there, it's like a mad scramble to consolidate all of our documentation because like, some of it's in Notion notes, some of it's in Google Docs, some of it's in GitHub wikis, you know? So uh, we actually recently, uh, as a company, decided to move forward with Notion as like a company wiki at first. Like getting, I'm getting in the door first as a wiki, as like a knowledge base, and then trying to go from there. That's good. If you just um, call it a wiki internally, that people <laughs> understand what that is, I think. It's kind of exactly. a good marketing yeah. speak internally. I like that. Yeah, so so our new, sale, uh, our new head of sales uh, actually was like, you know, do we have a wiki? And I said, well, I've been using this on my own because I, I made a design collective account on Notion, but just no one else used it, just me. And I was like, I have all this stuff over here. And he, knew, he was like, oh, I used this at my last company. Let's, let's you know, propose it to Lindsay that we use this as a knowledge base. So that was his idea. And he, what's also great about him is that he has, the company he came from had like 100 or so employees and he was there from like 15 or less. So he's been along for the ride and he has a lot of experience in growing and and. Uh, trickery like that let's call it the wiki you know uh so what anyway, what i've been doing is just kind of like putting all of my notes in that and i already had a big head big head start because i had already been using it personally and so i just started moving importing google docs and things to it uh and then and then we just jumped in so um friend of the show drew uh is is our first junior developer as a contractor to come in and so um, yeah, we we jumped on a Zoom screen share and walked through getting everything cloned down and set up. And he's only working on the front end app, but you know he had to pull down the back end and and uh, a couple of our microservices and get those set up. So I was like, <laughs> all right, we got to install Docker, we got to install Kitematic, we got to pull down Postgres, Redis, and Elasticsearch. And then I just kind of did a quick rundown. This is what Elasticsearch is for, and you know just kind of the thing. So basically, what I did is I wrote up a script called getting started and I just walked through the script with him. Not a not like and a shell script, but a text. Right, right. Script. Yeah, sorry. A tech procedure. Like a, like a procedure, yeah, document. And so we just walked through that. He asked questions. Uh and by the end of the first pairing session, um, everything was running locally and he was 
poking around in view and, and, um, checking it out, you know? So, uh, it, it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting because everyone talks about like periods of time where you have to spin, like, so it takes some of them to get familiar. And I'm haven't been super used to that because I've been working with Paul was like already familiar because we had talked about design collective so much, you know? Um, but anyways, that, I guess that's been the process so far is just like talking to people, trying to get my ducks in a row. And then, and then, you know, today was the first experience, like someone actually poking around the code and asking questions. <laughs> uh Oh, <laughs> you're yeah. under the microscope now. Right. So, I mean, luckily like Nuxt, if he has a question, I can point to documentation like, Oh, this is Nuxt does this this way. How does the routing work? Oh, it's these files and folders. Okay. Why? Well, Nuxt, this is how Nuxt works, you know? And I guess that's another thing too. Like part of the workflow is I actually am using Tailwind in production on, on Design Collective now. I don't think I told you that yet. Um, I didn't know that was actually out. I know you're working on it. Yeah, well, it's out. It was, <laughs> okay. it was out like shortly after I talked about it. So I'm using Purge CSS. And so it's not like I did a global find and replace for this. It's just that new things and things I'm tweaking, I just swapped to Tailwind classes. So the Tailwind classes themselves are all prefixed with a TW. And so my goal is uh, eventually when I have more time, I can do a global find and replace for most things. Got it. And then once we're ready to go, I can just drop the TW prefix and we're migrated over. And again, the same reason why I'm able to point, you know, they're asking a question, I point to Nuxt. Now, if he's like asking questions about styling or things like that, I can just point to Tailwind's documentation because there's a whole community of people working on that that I don't have to like do it myself, right? Mm -hmm. So part of the process too is trying to find like how many things can I standardize? Like how many little custom things have we done? Can I actually tear out and replace with something that's more standardized with documentation? Um, so Tailwind was the easiest, easiest thing to do at that point. Got and it. I think like with with uh you know most of the people that are coming in to do freelance are working on design and front end stuff um you know having them having me be able to point them to tailwind etc i think is going to save a lot of back and forth in time hopefully yeah especially just forget about the knowledge piece but uh you know and you mentioned autonomy right like that's a big part of it is knowing that uh you can just look something up like the, someone can yeah, just look something yeah. up without having to refer to you cuz they uh the documentation's there and having the time saved and confusion and effort saved by having a shared language, you know, have something, the uh, taxonomy of what you're talking about already like defined ahead of time. And you can just kind of yeah. talk on the same level without having to explain this is why this thing is this way or give something a name that can be difficult that, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've been actually talking about this week too, because, uh, you know, having, he's basically head of marketing and sales. And, and so we, you know, started talking to each other and he's asking me questions and he started talking about, you know, domains and terminology. And I was like, actually, I've already started a document for this that kind of like explains all the design collective features and terms. So it's like a features and terms thing. And, and, uh, it's really funny because I, I've read a couple of domain driven design books and they're all, they're talking about the domain is, uh, it ascends or past just your programming team. It, you know, it should work with the business team and the marketing team and all that stuff. And I had my first experience of that. I was like, oh, here's this thing I've been working on. Here's what all these things mean. Because we have this idea of a sale. If I tell you, 
if I say the word sale to you, it could mean a purchase. It could mean a customer purchased something. It could mean a store purchased something. It could mean a store purchased something from us. It could mean anything. It could mean a flash sale, which is what it actually means, like a group, a collection of discounted products, right? Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's funny you bring that up because that's something I actually have been working on this week. And I'm able to share that with Drew and be like, all right, here's here's our world. Here's a definition of things that we talk about and things that we think about. Um, and yeah, it's just having it codified is, is nice. I think maybe that's one thing that I'm just trying to do. And with, I think Chad is the new sales guy has really pushed me forward in that regard, codifying processes, uh, codifying protocols, like essentially is, is I guess what I'm getting at. So I think that's a big part of the process too. Yeah. First of all, it's amazing that you found someone else uses notion because I've yet to talk to anyone <laughs> who does. <laughs> yeah. Um, what one big question that I have for you that has been in the back of my mind recently within the same area is how do you so you've got someone set up you've got them kind of give them the the fifty thousand foot high level view of your application actually have it running, which is you know awesome actually a quick side story about that when i when I started my job at Agilent everything in there was in uh, .NET, you know, Visual Studio, Windows development environment, uh, C Sharp and, and C++. And uh, I was like, I was kind of dreading my first week of work. I was like, oh, that you know, they're gonna have to set me up with, uh, with the, the software so I could actually get it. And they're like, oh yeah, just clone it down. It'll compile. And I was like, what? Like, there's no way that actually works, right? Like, <laughs> you can't just clone a repo and just run it. Yeah, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. It'll run. Because it was, it was literally like, all like there are no dependencies uh it was right. all in one giant visual studio solution uh yeah and it just friggin worked gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs of team foundation server stuff being pulled down binaries and and source code c plus plus c sharp and uh yeah just just worked f5 and you were good to go i thought that just blew my mind <laughs> that's crazy but uh that's the advantage of having all that stuff under under one roof like that anyway my question for you was what how do you how do you decide what this person is going to be working on to begin with and when you're picking that thing do you sort of think about short term in terms of like we need this thing done now do you think about maybe like long term like oh let's get you an introductory project that like will help you know the system better and you can work on more complex things later. You mentioned he's primarily a front-end developer, so like maybe that narrows it down a little bit. Or you know, he's gonna be doing front-end work for you at least. But uh how do you how do you prioritize what that person's gonna be doing to start off? Because that is challenging because I know you've got so much on your plate, right? You've got the I mean, the roadmap is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's yeah terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so in the case of Drew, it makes it a little easier because he's a he's a junior developer and he's still learning a lot about uh, Vue and just about development in general, you know. And so, uh, what I have him working on are just some things that I don't want to call low hanging fruit, but things that have been around, you know, small asks, small tweaks that people have asked for. Things that I could certainly do, but then I'm not spending my time working on the bigger stuff, right? So. I don't want to call it busy work. I don't want to call it the stuff that I don't want to do because it's not, that's not what it is. It's just things that are, that I could do, but I don't necessarily need to be spending my time doing that. And so, 
you know, he, at that point, he's able to get in and feel like he's, you know, being productive because he's being able to close issues. Um, and, and specifically, I had two issues assigned to him. Uh, and one of them does involve the back end thing, which I'll end up doing, but I wanted to like be aware of how that, what that looks like, I suppose. So the first two things I, I added assigned to him were like a recent thing that someone asked for. And then, uh, something that someone asked for a while back and hasn't been deemed important enough, I guess, for me to like stop some of the bigger stuff that I'm working on to switch to it. So I guess that was like an easy thing for me to find was just a couple of these things that have been kind of rolling around. Um, with this other guy, he's got some really good design shops, and I think honestly, the bulk of our work is going to be in des- like the next fight, the next phase of uh, the bulk of our work is design related and messaging related. Um, and it just so happens that I already have projects scheduled before he signed on that needed to be done, so I needed to find a d- designer either way. Uh, so you know, something like that would be like redesigning the homepage, which is a bigger thing. Um, redesigning the store boutique pages is a bigger thing. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. So I heard this analogy somewhere and I can't remember where it is, but, or I can't remember where I heard it, but, uh, someone, someone likened it to like a senior developer is, is more along the lines of like an architect, whereas a junior developer is more along the lines of like a construction worker. Um, and, and so I guess that's what I'm trying to do with Drew is find some things that he can kind of get in and start working on that don't require lots of, structural thought or code design related thought more of like a here's how you can get busy and just learn things tangentially along the way um whereas this other contractor that's coming in is a more senior i'm putting him on some projects that do require a lot more thought and design stuff up front before implementation can be started interesting so you i guess the fundamental difference is like you're you're hiring people or looking for people just for manpower like not with the particular like, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z, and you're a good fit for that. It's more like you're just looking for uh, more more man hours, more or less. I mean, yeah, that's I don't yeah, want to. Well, yeah, that's that sounds like I'm putting it negatively, right? No, but yeah. You just need you just need more. I mean, Paul's gone, you and you're not gonna be able to keep at the same pace by yourself. It's all it comes down to. So I mean, well, also it's also we're kind of in a different spot as a company. So like having our focus shift from features. And that was one of the big things that, you know, Chad having a lot of experience coming in is, is able to kind of, we've been so busy for so long. We just kind of, you're just in the mess. Right. And so he comes in and he's seeing from the outside. And, um, so basically what he's able to do is shine some clarity on some places where we can improve on our messaging and our selling capabilities and stuff like that. And, and it just so happens that a lot of that stuff is in actually like making things simpler. So part of it's like, are, are there any features? He's conducting surveys to see like, is there anything we can lose? Because we have our feature page is so big right now. He says, that's kind of a turnoff. It's almost adding, it's almost prompting people to ask more questions than questions have answered. Right. Which isn't great if you're trying to sell them a solution to something, you know? So part of the next phase of design collective is, okay, we have all this stuff. What can we lose? What can we get rid of? What can we focus in on to make it better? Which is amazing because I've been saying for a while, we have too much stuff for two people when Paul is around, you know, Paul and I are like, we can't handle it. There's too much stuff, you know? And so now it's like, okay, this, the sales point is, or the focus is sales. How can we simplify it? How can we narrow in a focus? How can we not produce more questions than answers when we introduce ourselves to somebody? So, uh, it turns out that a lot of that, like I said, work is design work and thinking work, 
which, you know, if we have someone on those projects that frees me up to spend all my time refactoring and working on maintenance, which is amazing because that's what I've been wanting to do for a long time. So there's been a lot of code in the Elixir side that I've been wanting to get rid of. So we had a, like a, a context, one of the first contexts I worked on, uh, everyone always said like, oh yeah, don't prematurely split up all of your stuff into bundles, right? Or like into namespaces. So I had a context that was like 800 lines long <laughs> and that was committed in like, I don't even know what year it was, to be honest, two years ago. And just uh, three weeks ago, I split it up into three contexts as it should have been. <laughs> Right. So this is the kind of stuff I'm able to focus on now because we have someone. So like Paul and I, we were working together. We were doing this. We had the same skill set. So we were working on really similar stuff all the time. Right. And so what's really different now about this, this setup is that the person that's coming in to work on design, that's all he's working on. That's his sole focus. And if he's doing that, I don't have to do that. And we're not running two projects in tandem anymore. So that means that frees me up to do all the other stuff they've been wanting to do, which feels amazing. So it almost feels like it's a different company in a sense. Do you have any, maybe this is just a me thing. How, how do you feel about, at some point you have to basically give up some control, right? You have to trust that someone is going to do something and do it correctly or do it the way you want it to. How do you, I don't know, fight that urge to like want to, you, you don't want to micromanage, right? You don't want to, you don't want to be always, uh, making sure everything is, you know, you don't want to be too much in people's face when they're doing their work, right? You want to be able to let them do their own thing. Cause that's the whole point is you need to, you know, spend your time doing your own thing. So like, how do you, uh, I don't know. How do you manage that? Uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, to be completely honest, uh, I think it would be harder for me on the back end maybe than maybe the front end. And I don't, I don't know why that is, but that's like the feeling I get when you ask me that question. But honestly, like part of the reason why we went, went with Drew in the first place or like picked him as one of the first people to get going is because um, he's so excited about development and he's he's kind of at that phase where you're just excited and, and stoked about everything programming, right? And so fast forward a few years and you get me where I'm like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm like, I'm over it, you know? And I know exactly <laughs> what, you, you know, that I'm talking about. I say that to, to like relate it to the idea of micromanaging. Like if they're really excited about what they're doing and they're actually doing a good job, I feel like that should be good enough for me. Right. As long as it is like actually a good job. Um, and I don't know how I'll react to that yet. Cause I haven't had to like do any reviews or anything yet. But I'm I'm hoping like that's what I can kind of keep in the forefront of my mind is like, and the other, I guess the other thing too is perspe- perspective. So uh, two episodes ago, we, I, I was we were talking about hiring from within our network first, right? And and uh, actually, let me let me look up this tweet quick because I want to make sure I get his name right. Um, I got a DM from a new friend of the show, Nick uh, Nick Stalnecker. And he was like, hey, you know, I listened to your episode and, you know, I liked a lot about what you had to say, but something that you didn't come up when you're talking was, you know, getting more diverse candidates. And he was like, sometimes when you hire just from within your pipeline, you tend to hire people that see things the same way as you or think the same way as you and approach problems the same way as you. And I was like, hey, that's a really good point. That is a really you good know? point. So that's something I, I, I'm i trying to, I copied and pasted his tweet to me in a, into a notion <laughs> that I try to look at to try to just remind myself, like, I don't always know best. I'm not going to always know best. 
diversity and perspective matter, especially when solving problems and, and uh, well, not especially when solving problems, but they just matter, period, right? And what's really interesting is, especially since Drew is a junior, he'll suggest things to me and I'm like, I would have never thought about it like that. And it's not saying that because I'm a senior, I know better. He's just, a, it's weird because it's a different person. And I've known Paul for so long. We've worked together for so long. Drew's the first person I've ever like paired with apart from Paul and maybe Nick like back in the day, but especially in the last five years. Um, so it was, I don't know, it was interesting. So yeah, I guess like to really, really answer is like, I just kind of have to keep reminding myself, like try to try as to come up for air as much as I can to see, look for, look through other people's eyes, get perspective on things. Um, try to consider, I guess, another person's decision-making process before I go with, with my, my first instinct. But we'll see what happens because none of that's happened yet. Well, I primed the pump there. Now you got something to think about. I mean, like, how would you how would you approach that though? Like, I know because you've you've worked with contractors before. How how did you go about trying to trying to? I guess think about that. You know, like not trying to be a control freak or breathe down their neck about how they implement stuff. So, like you said, I do try to keep an open mind. I do want to feel like when you're working like you're working with someone they're not working for you but like they are also skilled autonomous people with their own uh viewpoints and so i always want it to be a discussion you know i don't want it to be uh this is the way it has to be like i want to know i want to know why why the way i'm thinking about it is wrong what the alternatives are what the pros and cons are like just kind of talking it out but also not going too far and being like, I don't know, just, just trying to keep a a cautious eye on like, on the way things are going and not let them go get too out of hand in terms of like, well, actually this is not really what we wanted, or this actually isn't a good fit and being able to sort of walk that back before it, before it gets too far. That's kind of been my, my experience. Um, As I've mentioned last time we talked, like, I don't feel like my track record is great. I feel like I'm working on it, working on that balance, but I, uh, I'm always interested in, in other people's technologies. I mean, there's, it's, it's the only way we get exposed to half of this stuff is just word of mouth. Right. I mean, right. So, yeah. so I'm always looking to learn new things and figure that out. But, uh, and especially if someone's really, really jazzed on something, like I want to understand why, right? Like when I talk to, or we talk to each other and to our audience and to anyone else about, you know, how excited we are about Vue and Elixir and whatever technology stack that we like right at the time. Uh, there's a reason for that and trying to understand the person's background and understand why and I don't know, what motivates people's decisions I think is is interesting. That was kind of a long answer to your question, but that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, again, I try to make it, try to make it more of a discussion and less of like a, uh, I don't know, just check the boxes. Right. Yeah. I guess like ask yourself why more. I, that's something I try to do too, is if I have a certain, a certain uh, emotional reaction to something, I, I try to like understand that I'm having a reaction to something. And then I try to figure out why I'm reacting that way. And it's really hard to do because it's hard to get outside of that feeling. Uh, someone says something to you that feels inflammatory or whatever, because tech is personal to a lot of, you know, programmers and tech. It's, it's just personal. Someone says something about technology to, that you like or don't like, and you have a reaction to it. 
And a lot of t- a lot of times I feel like, especially on social media, the reaction stops at the reaction. The reaction is what dictates a response. And and I try to be really conscious of that. And so if I have a reaction, I realize what's happening and then try to analyze why that happened and why that was so close to me and why I responded that way. Again, it, it just comes back to, I guess, like coming up for air and coming up for context, coming up for visibility. And that's one thing, you know, I've been talking, I, I mentioned Noah already, but I've been talking to him a lot because um, his company is where I want my company to be at some point, you know, and he said that was one of the hardest things about being a CTO or an engineering manager was um, actually, let me, I have the quote right here. He said, the hard part about being CTO is you have to zoom in and dev and zoom out and lead. And a lot of times we forget the ladder or feel like we're not contributing enough when we do the ladder. Without the ladder, the team is potential to fail. And I think that goes like basically like most of the time when I'm asking for advice, the advice seems to be about like, oh yeah, you know, zoom out a little bit and and look at things with a different perspective. Look at things down the road. And uh, usually you find a more level-headed answer that way, I guess. But I don't know. That seems to be the challenge. That's what everyone tells me the challenge is, is like, finding time or having the patience to do that uh, and still feel like you're contributing and being productive and not getting left behind. Let's take a quick break and thank Sentry.io for sponsoring this episode. You know, if there's one thing I wish I had done sooner in Remote Ham Radio, it would have been to install the Sentry client on my front end from day one. I mean, listen, I'm only one developer. I don't have access to the browsers and devices and operating systems that every single user is going to use. So I can't catch all those edge cases. Well, as soon as I put the Sentry client in there, I got detailed information about every single crash that was occurring. Stack trace, which release of my application they were using, who the user was, and everything they did leading up to the error. That allows me to go in and surgically fix errors and deploy them with confidence that they're not going to come back in future releases. And I can do this all without ever hearing from a user or reaching out to them for more information. I don't use the deployment pipeline, but if you do, you can integrate Sentry with that as well. So some errors won't even make it to production. Now, I'm using it on the front end, but Sentry also has first-party client support for many client and server platforms, including a couple of our favorites, Vue.js, Rails, and even Elixir. You can head on over to Sentry.io and give it a try. They have a free developer account, which is great for your own personal projects and applications that are in the early stages. Sentry.io. Your code is broken. Let's fix it together. When I, uh, going back to my my Agilent uh, anecdotes here, I uh, I worked on a team with, uh, I was one of those, uh, the construction workers, right? I worked on a team with uh, between like 10 and 15 people, uh, just, just slinging code, fixing bugs, doing, doing you know, real hardcore, down dirty, uh, you know, C-sharp development. And whenever we, we had, uh, you know, there was some structure in sense of like, there was pretty well-defined uh, coding conventions in terms of naming things, where things go you know, how things were structured. That was fine. You could pick most of that up just by reading through the project and seeing how it's structured and just copying it, right? A lot, a lot of it was really written out. But there was this one guy who was a higher level developer, you know, more, more senior developer, who was also like extremely, extremely productive. Like he wrote really, really, really cool, high, um, high performance, very, very critical new features for our application. But he also like was the guy who would just be like, 
no, that's wrong. No, don't do it that way. Like, no, this, this is not the right way to do this. Why don't you do X, Y, and Z? And like, it was kind of his way or the highway, right? But I'm not saying that in a bad way because he has the he has experience, he has the knowledge. Like like he's saying that for a reason. Maybe he wouldn't always articulate it, but like you kind of had to respect it whether you wanted to or not because it was just kind of he was very uh, I don't know blunt, <laughs> right on the on the board of like feeling like he was mean if you took it the wrong way, right? So that's one way you can approach this kind of situation, right? Where it's like, Hey, I know best. This is how it has to be. And like, you know, again, it's my way or the highway. Uh, and, um, that's, I don't know if that, that's just one way to approach it. Right. That's like, again, he was just kind of fulfilling both roles, but, uh, but his, his view did matter. It did shape how the code was structured. It did provide a sense of order when you've got, you know, dozen developers working across different projects and you have to mash them all together with all these crazy branching structures and versions. And you, 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 God, if I could, if I could show you some of these branching structures for how our, all our different solutions fit together, it was a nightmare, an actual nightmare. Providing some sense of order in that mayhem is really, really what that project needed, you know? Right. Yeah. I guess it's time and a place, right? Sometimes those decisions matter and sometimes I I guess it, it it could be different too. Like I haven't ever worked for worked with somebody that was like I want to do it this way, and then you you as the the manager or you know the person that is able to call the shots say no, do it this way, and have them push back on you. I've never experienced that. I guess that would be a little bit different too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I, trying to approach. I guess like when you default to that, I think that could probably become an issue. Like you said, sometimes it could come across as like hurtful. Uh, I suppose like it's, it's like finding the medium there between uh, being stern and also being empathetic and how you communicate to a person uh, is probably the the sweet spot. But, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. So we got two people coming in and, and uh, hitting the ground running. So that's exciting, dude. I don't know. Yeah, it'll it'll be new. It'll be new for me for sure. I spend a lot more time now scoping stuff, writing docs and scoping stuff. So, really, what you're saying is you needed two people to replace Paul. Yeah, I think when he <laughs> left Imagex, they had to hire three people to replace him. So, <laughs> but I don't know. It's different. It's so it's interesting. Like have like divvying. It just feels different. Like divvying things up differently with Paul. Something would come in, and he would just like run off and do all of it, top to bottom, and. And now it's like there's not that there wasn't thought and consideration put into it, but things move a little bit slower on that front. And that might be a good thing. I don't know. Well, they necessarily uh, have to because the project is so much bigger now, right? And there's so much more scope. Yeah. Yeah. But but also, I think that was also kind of good for my coworkers because they understand like how complicated this stuff is, you know? So when I told them that Paul's very fast... And when Paul's not around anymore, they're like, oh, Paul is very fast. You know, I was like, well, I told you that. Um, but also, you know, like having someone else come in, and I think everyone really respects Chad that he comes in with a lot of experience, you know, being through a few different companies that have grown uh, really well. Him coming in and just underscoring how complicated what we have is. He was like, you guys' platform is custom? That's crazy. He's like, that's amazing. But that's crazy um, that, that you're able to build what you have with two people. Uh, it blew his mind and, and it's not like self patting on the back, but 
that's just that's just being like you know everyone respects what he has to say in his experience and so when he says that they're like oh okay no he was actually calling you crazy he's he thinks it's a terrible idea you're gonna replace it with shopify no (laughs) (laughs) he our customers leave like immediately uh yeah i don't know he yeah he just we had some really good talks and things were really encouraging he had a lot of encouraging things to say to me which was awesome um and I don't know, it was, it was great. So, so before it was me and Paul and it was like technical people and completely non-technical people. Like there was no middle ground. And now we have middle ground where, where this guy, he's not a technical person, but he understands a lot of it. And so he's helping me bridge the gap in, in, in some regards there, uh, which I didn't really know how much I needed that maybe. So it's been good. I don't know. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's just hard to communicate like, if you're if you're technical, it's hard to communicate like how complicated a thing can be, right? Um, you can use all the analogies in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean it connects to the other person. But when someone that's kind of bridging both worlds comes in, they're able to say something in a way that you weren't, and other people are like, "Oh, I get it." All I can think, <laughs> I'm just laughing myself over here. All I can think is that guy from Office Space. I'm a people person. I'm good at yeah. dealing with people. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's been good though. It's been good changes. I think it feels different. It feels like we have a lot of momentum going. He's putting a lot of things into place that I think we've been needing. So it's just kind of like right time, right person. Hopefully, we'll see. But um, so far, it feels like right time, right person stuff. So yeah, I guess that's really mostly what I've been up to is like trying to organize stuff. Um, I have been doing some refactoring, uh, which we can talk about at some point, but moving a lot of stuff from various tables back to the products table itself. Oh boy. <laughs> Got a mega table going on. Unjoining. Yeah, it's not as bad as it, not as bad as it sounds, but um, it's helped. It's actually helps me refactor things a lot and it makes, it makes things a lot more granular for stores, which some people have been asking for. So go God table or go home. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Your uh, product table is going to look like bad. the user's table. Uh, the user's table is actually not that big. The proxy table is already bigger, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, that's, I don't know. That's like, that's my update. Lots of thinking, lots of writing, <coughs> some pairing with people and um, yeah. It's just going to turn to one of those uh, like high level, level uh, business-y podcasts, isn't it? Business podcast. That's what I'm learning about. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk about the God table, product, the God product table. Um at some point, but should probably. I have lots of thoughts, but <laughs> probably not the time for those right now. Yeah, I don't know. It's it really has like I'm I'm trying to be conscious of don't move stuff that really genuinely doesn't belong there. But I, everything is becoming. There's a lot of been a lot of things after. So basically, uh, before if a store wanted to hide a product price or 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 not sell online, it was kind of an all-in or all-out type of thing. Um, so they would change the setting and then none of their products would be purchasable or none of their products would ha- would show their product's price. And so what happens is we have a store settings table that belongs to stores and then we have products. And so because the store settings affect their inventory, then every time we render a product, we also have to check their settings for these these things. Should we be showing our price and should we be showing um uh should we be should we be allowing this thing to be purchased regardless and and 
it wasn't like, it's not terrible. Like it can be done, but then you're having to check for store settings in the front end. You're having to check for store settings in the email side of things. Um, some places in the API, so it gets really spread out. Um, and, and then also you're having to include the store settings on, on the products index too for Elasticsearch. Well, just, just preload all the things, Sean. It's easy. Right. Just preload. So, preload your preloads. And, and so what, what I ended up doing was moving. So anyway, a feature request started coming in from stores like, Hey, I want to like, you know, not sell online, but I want to get rid of these two products that I have left as a clearance, you know? And I was like, Oh, you can't do that. Um, and so I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, well we need to make this more granular, but it's, it's like, you know, the setting isn't granular. It's over here. So there's, I could either at that point, if I need to make it granular, I could keep the store settings table happening over here and override on a product by product basis. But that felt kind of dirty because you're still adding stuff to the product table anyway. Yeah. Override a setting that lives elsewhere. And now it's in two places. So what I did was I took those two columns off of store settings and moved them on the products. And, and so that's that. And so basically what I noticed was, again, I got to remove a bunch of preloads. I got to remove uh, some useless conditionals in view components and email templates. And uh, on top of that, uh, I think before, so I'm trying to also standardize how we approach Booleans. So some places are like enable something, some places are like disable something. Oh, and yeah, so yeah, in the yeah. Data, yeah, in the database, I'm always having, I'm trying to have it as enable. So that way, in my if conditionals, I'm checking for the thing I want instead of if not, right? So it's just a little simpler in that in that regard. So it helped me make that more con- consistent there. And so, yeah, it just removed some complexity in my views and and also that's I think better because we have a couple of people like external people external companies that are consuming our API now and so with that update I can depre- you know deprecated the old ones in in um, uh, GraphQL and I can tell them hey well you don't need this other table anymore you can just pull it straight off of products which is great for them so you know so yeah it was like it felt like a good trade off you know moving that stuff and then uh, what I did was I added. Um, uh, on the store settings table, there's a column called default product, enable online orders, and default product, uh, enable price display. And if you change those, when we make a new product, it just looks at that to see what the default value should be in the product form, which happens on the client because that we have a we have a product factory function on the client anyway. So all I did was just merge two objects there <laughs> and we're good to go. So... On a technical level, I guess that's what I did this this uh, this week, and it feels good. Makes a lot of sense. You, you could even do stuff like uh, if you wanted one table, but you wanted different schemas, you know, uh, t- sort of domain objects. You could have like product and product settings, and they both point to the products table, but they're just different columns. And maybe you don't need to necessarily fetch the product settings. I mean, I think in most cases you do anyways because you need it for display anyways. You know that those kind of settings like. Should I just play the price or not? Well, do you have to check the settings anyways? But you know, with Ecto, you could do something like that where you you still have a single table. You don't have to worry about uh, maintaining the references and relationships. Uh, you know, has one is always a code smell to me. So uh, you could do sure, sort of I see what you're saying single table inheritance ish type of thing where where multiple schemas point to the same table and you know it's just going to all be all be synced up. I don't know. It might end up just being a, an extra select you know it's something else to keep track of but it's a, it's an option you know yeah yeah for sure um 
I'm pretty okay with just having them in there for now, but if it grows, I'll probably end up refactoring it out at some point. Like stores and store settings, for example, products and product settings, like you said, could be another table, but then like you said, you have to always have to preload it and all that. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, it's working really well for now. Uh, uh, it was surprisingly easy to refactor all the views. Uh, it was pretty great. Uh, I did that in a day. In actually much less than a day uh, as soon as like all the migrations are done to copy all the already default settings and all that junk but I wonder could you set up so let's say you have product and product settings right they both point to the same table but product settings belongs to a product like has mm. it belongs to and then somehow you can basically preload the thing from its own table so like you can load products but then you say preload product settings and it just sets up the foreign key and preloads it from its own table. Hmm. There'd still be two queries. I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> convoluted. <laughs> but if you run into memory concerns and you didn't always want to load them, you can maybe do it. I'm way overthinking this, but <laughs> Ecto is just a whole beast to think about that kind Ecto of stuff. Is, yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. But yeah, I mean, I'll probably I'll be refactoring a lot of stuff because that's what I'm spending my time on because everyone else is busy working on design stuff. So I'm just kind of like over there. <laughs> doing doing my thing which is awesome uh so i'm sure we'll have lots of elixir things uh to to talk about very soon as i get more into that stuff cool 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 no doubt no doubt well i suppose it's about that time where i beg for feedback from i beg for human interaction (laughs) uh from from people on twitter uh for rates and shares and feedbacks and at this rate like we're accumulating so many friends of the show it's gonna be like a I don't know a cohort of the show. We need cohort. We need a we need a Rolodex, the Rolodex <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Rolodex. What year is the it? The Rolodex. Right. I'll we just put the Rolodex my, of the show. I'll just put it in my Palm Pilot. Well, yeah. We. I mean, feedback. I had some people. Yeah, like you know the feedback from from friend of the show, uh, Nick. That was awesome. That really like. That really benefited me a lot. Just him asking me a question. Did you consider this? I didn't. Thank you. And now it like changed my whole frame of reference on things, you know? So it's like little things like that, that I really appreciate. And uh, don't hesitate to tweet at me, tweet at us or chat with us or send a pigeon or an owl, eagle, whatever you got, send it our way. Don't be afraid. Do I also give a shout out to Noah here? Uh, yeah, shout out to friend of the show, Noah, and his new podcast that will be dropping soon, uh, Code Story. Episode one is coming out Monday, which is yesterday, if you're listening to this. At least yesterday. It can't, it's old news now. It is CodeStory.co. CodeStory.co is, is the, yes, is the URL. I don't know why it took me so long. I got a new keyboard, so I'm getting used to it. We can talk about that sometime, too. Uh, That's easily a whole new, episode. New mechanical keyboard by Cooler Master. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. Uh, Code Story coming out. I think I was episode four, so it'll be a little bit before you get to hear me ramble again <laughs> about stuff. But yeah, shout out to Noah. He answers, he helps me out a lot. He answers a lot of my questions. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, you know, he reached out to me and is, is willing to help me and by extension help all of you because I... Uh, talk about it in the show. So yeah, shout out to Noah and Code Story. As always, if you want to reach us on Twitter, DNC Show is the uh, show account. You can reach on directly, Sean Wash Bot. 
and I am Shrockwell. It's S C H Rockwell. Two L's. Uh, two L's. Not that there was a really a, a doubt. That's two C's. Two C's. Uh, show notes are available at dnc.show. We put all the things we talk about in, and then some extra things. Sometimes, sometimes full length movies. That's right. I did once link to the full length Goofy movie in our show notes. I don't remember what episode that was, but uh, I did watch a large portion of it when I was doing the show notes. Um, yeah, so dnc.show for the for the notes. We'll also post the show notes over on Spectrum and Dot Chat, where you can have uh, real time discussions with us about the show. Come say hi, give us feedback, become a friend of the show because apparently it's so easy. Or pushovers, we just like everybody. Want everyone to be happy. Speak for yourself. Speak for myself. Well, on that note, thanks to Spec for having us. Uh, we want them to be happy, and they want us to be happy, and we appreciate the relationship that we have with them. And uh, if you're looking for other great design and developer-related shows, you should check out Spec.fm. And I think Design Details recently had their 300th episode, Woo-woo. which is wild. I think I remember listening to Design Details before I even met Jamie. Scandalous. So that's like six years. <laughs> Of episodes they got going on over there. Um, yeah, so shout out to Spec.fm. Thanks for having us. This week's episode of Does Not Compute was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. DigitalOcean really is the easiest cloud platform on which to run and scale your applications. You can visit do.co slash does not to sign up and receive a free credit towards your next application. And of course, thanks to Sentry.io as well. Don't wait for users to report errors to act on them. Iterate faster, improve your customers' happiness, and make a better product with Sentry's comprehensive error reporting platform. Check them out at Sentry.io. I'm putting in my resume, Sean. You can hire me next. Hey, don't play with me like that. <laughs> play with your heart. Uh, maybe someday. Maybe that day could be sooner than you think. Who knows? Only the Oracle. That's right. That's a Matrix joke. No Again, one ever gets it. I think it's the third one <laughs> since I've since I've started with you. I'm just waiting for everyone, someone to pick it up. Someone will. All right, I'll I'll talk to you. See ya.